Thanks for tuning in. This is Jim Minnery with Family Matters here on Wednesday, June 16th. Got a cloudy day uh, in front of us and uh, a whole summer in front of us as well. So uh, what a wonderful thing to be right in the smack dab middle of summer. I hope you're enjoying yours. Um, as always, I want to um, thank our friends over at Rieger Physical Therapy, RiegerPT.com. For helping us out, Cortland and his team of physical therapists over there are exceptional at their craft and also uh, allied, obviously, with what you and I care so deeply about, which is uh, issues related to religious, religious liberty, right of conscience, uh, sanctity of life, parental rights, all the things that are uh, um, critical to us maintaining our uh, foundational freedoms. And uh, we're happy today to uh, announce that we'll be speaking with United States Senator candidate Kelly Chewbacca. Um, we've talked to her in the past prior to her announcement and uh, was really looking forward to sitting down and, and uh, having a good chat in terms of why she's uh, wanting to become Alaska's next U.S. Senator and uh, who she is in terms of um, her faith and how it animates her and what she thinks she can do uh, back in D.C. to change things. She's been there, as you know, uh, was part of the swamp. I would not say part of the swamp. She lived in the swamp and uh, so has a, a pretty keen awareness of things that are going on back there. And there's been an enormous amount of uh, momentum that she's been able to um, to gain here, getting in so early and so uh, so boldly in terms of how many events she's doing. She's already running her ad. Uh, I think it's her second ad, actually. But um, anyway, stick around. We're going to be uh, chatting with uh, Kelly Chewbacca here uh, in a few minutes. Uh, before then, though, and just a couple different things to talk about. I'm speaking of Senator Murkowski in terms of who Kelly Chewbacca is running against. Our understanding right now is that the uh, Equality Act that we've talked so much about here on Family Matters as well as uh, through akfamily.org when we send things out, uh, it looks like it will be voted on next week. Um, and so we're pushing as hard as we can to uh, let Senator Murkowski know uh, that we are absolutely opposed to um, you know, sacrificing at the altar of big government our rights as United States citizens to worship freely and to practice our faith in the in the public marketplace of ideas. And, and the Equality Act uh, does everything to prevent that. Uh, it, you know, as Al Mohler has said, it, it's an existential threat to religious liberty. Uh, so I'm going to give you the, uh, the website for Senator Murkowski. It's murkowski.senate.gov. Uh, and I would just say call once, call twice, tell your friends. She just needs to know, uh, that it is bad policy. And, you know, I'm going to read to you, uh, quickly the letter of opposition, Maybe I don't read the whole thing because it's uh, it's a little bit lengthy, but uh, it's not like a page. But go to akfamily.org, uh, and I think it's the first thing that comes up. In fact, I'm looking at right now. Yeah, it just says, is your church on this list? Why these Alaskan faith leaders are standing against the Equality Act? 
And I, my understanding right now, I mean, because it keeps growing, and it probably will in the next uh, couple of days because we're going to be promoting it again. We have about 160 pastors um, or faith leaders. Most of them are, are executive pastors, um, but uh, it's it's really something else to see the body of Christ come together in terms of having so many people across the state from Ketchikan to Kotzebue all over the country, I mean, all over the uh, state, um, that have said very clearly, uh, and this literally represents, I'd love to be able to do some kind of, a, um, you know, a calculation, but it's it's tens of thousands of people that, that are represented by this many churches, and ultimately, uh, you know, I want to read you the last three paragraphs, faith-based Faith-based nonprofits, this is a quote from the opposition letter that we wrote that um, faith leaders have signed on to, and you can read the whole thing at akfamily.org. And if you haven't signed up for our uh, for our action alerts, please do so. You can do that by just uh, clicking on the upper um, right corner subscribe button. But um, So this last part says faith-based Nonprofits would be affected as well. Foster and adoption agencies, for example, could be compelled to affirm a young child's belief that they were born in the wrong body and only place children in homes that would likewise affirm this belief. If they don't comply, they could be forced to shut their doors, limiting the already slim resources for children in need. Similarly, Similarly, battered women's shelters may be compelled to admit men into their facilities, despite knowing that this may cause women to relive the trauma of the abuse from which they are trying to recover. And, of course, that um, is related directly to us here in Alaska at the, because of the downtown Hope sh- uh, Shelter and what's going on there. Meanwhile, the act could threaten the freedom of artists and other professionals to live according to their beliefs and the ability of our own churches to require employees to abide by core tenets of their own of our own faith. Uh, as Christians, we are compelled to follow Jesus' commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. We consider it unloving to electively subject, however, a young person to potential sterilization and mutilation treatments, quote unquote, which fail to heal the wounds of the heart. We believe that it is unloving and unwise to undermine the ability of parents to lovingly care for their children in the way that they see best. And it is certainly unloving to force victims of abuse to relive their trauma or to make talented female athletes watch as their opportunities for athletic achievement are swept from under their feet. We oppose the Equality Act because it is unloving to our neighbors and because it stands to threaten the ability of people of faith to live according to their convictions. Now, I don't know... Uh, my understanding, uh, you know, if I were to guess, is that uh, Senator Murkowski is more concerned about the Tenth Amendment's issue of this in terms of federal government. She has said in the past uh, and, and has acted accordingly that, that when the federal government tries to come in and, and, and manage things um, over the top of us as Alaskans, that it has been a concern for her, although some of the, her votes for uh, nominating some of these uh, secretaries, uh, you know, or uh, Biden administration officials is certainly a little bit counter to that. But um, anyway, so what I'm saying is that I don't think that uh, my, my my understanding is that uh, Senator Murkowski is not going to be that tuned into or necessarily offended by the parts of the Equality Act 
that are moral considerations as much as she would be of federal overreach. So that might be something that you mention if you contact uh, Lisa uh, Murkowski, Senator Murkowski. So anyway, we're we're coming up on the end of our first break. Just wanted to um, put that out there because we won't have an opportunity. We might, in fact, next week we might be talking about how the vote ended up and Murkowski's vote is critical. Of course, so is uh, Senator Sullivan's. You know, we've had uh, conversations with their office and uh, our understanding is that he's pretty solid. Um, you know, so if, if you want to reach out to Senator Sullivan, that would be great as well. But uh, certainly the priority is Senator Murkowski. So anyway, stick around, folks. We're going to be right back with uh, Family Matters. And uh, we'll be speaking with Kelly Chewbacca. Um, and uh, we'll learn a little bit more about some of the, the personal things that, that animate her faith. So thanks for tuning in. We're on Family Matters here. We'll be right back after this break. Take care. So blessed to have Kelly Chewbacca on uh, today's show. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, what a pleasure. We were just talking offline about, you know, uh, the the reality that there are a lot of folks who are in the policy arena, public policy arena, and, and holding public office, who are believers, who are uh, you know serious about their walk. Um, with Christ, and yet, um, you know, we still find uh, it to be a fairly rare thing uh, for people to adhere to a strict biblical worldview, and that is a loaded term, obviously. It can mean different things to different people, but I guess the first thing, the first question that I want to have uh, with you is, how would you describe your walk with the Lord, and, and what brought you to a place where um, you you realize that that was the center of who you were. So, <clears throat> my I would say my walk with the Lord is um, evolving. We had a great conversation this morning, <laughs> and uh, I think it's really important for believers to stay in regular communication with God. Right now, um, my prayer life is a lot about Alaska and how Alaska is doing and and about my heart for Alaska to make sure that I really don't want to become like what I think we all would think of as a politician, you know, motivated by power, motivated by money, but instead just continue to really be motivated by serving people. And Jim, I've never run for office before, but now that I've been in this a couple months, I see how people become politicians. Um, I've lost a lot in the last couple months. There's a lot of things that have been done uh, that have have really hurt. And uh, it is helpful for me to remember, to meditate on the things that happened to Jesus and the things that happened to David when he went from being out in the fields of the shepherd to being a king. And um, a lot of your listeners don't know, but Nikki and I started a church about 15 years ago. And it's uh, so, you know, for those who understand faith-based organizations, we really focus on equipping and empowering leaders in the community. And we work a lot with anti-human trafficking efforts and 
advocating for the homeless. And it's been, that's what we do in our spare time, in addition to raising our five wonderful children. Um, so going from, you know, like what David did, kind of shepherding to um, being involved in the political arena, there's a lot that he writes about in the Psalms that I'm really relating to right now in a different way. And <clears throat> that's what I'm focusing on right now is keeping my heart in that David posture where uh, he really sees his identity and his role as a servant leader. And he's always focusing on the people of Israel, not his throne or his uh, what's in it for him. So I think that's what we see in Jesus too, right? He he had everything and he gave it all up to come and sacrifice everything for us. And so that's the kind of leader I want to be. Wow, that's fascinating. And we, uh, well, I don't think I've told you this story, but um, one of the uh, the leaders that I met at one point was Senator, um, uh, gosh, well, I always forget his name, out of uh, out of Oklahoma, Senator Tom Coburn. And I believe he was a medical doctor and he was a part of a program that we were engaged with. And my, my cousin, Tom Minery, was leading the Statesman's Academy at the time. And he asked Senator uh, Coburn, what is your greatest accomplishment? And my, my, my cousin's a, a policy nerd and was really kind of hoping to hear some of that in this dialogue. And basically what Senator Coburn said was, you know, my greatest achievement really in my decades as a U.S. Senator was ministering to, um, to U.S. Senator Ted Stevens. It was fascinating because mm -hmm. I was like the only Alaskan in the in the room. And he told a story that, that Senator Stevens, you know, put on his Hulk tie, his famous Hulk tie and came after uh, Coburn because he was, uh, you know, the whole bridge to nowhere and, you know, excess spending and, and all that. Um, but Coburn held his own and he was always known as a budget hawk. And he said, after he came after me, I found out that Senator Stevens um, smoked cigars. I found out what kind of cigars. I sent him a box of cigars and then I invited him into my office. And up until the time that uh, Ted Stevens died, um, or, you know, after he got, uh, he was taken out by baggage, obviously, and that whole scandal, uh, but that he did a, a study um, with uh, Senator Stevens in, in Senator Coburn's office on the Book of John for, uh, you know, a year mm -hmm. and a half, two years. And he said he really firmly believes that, that Senator Stevens came to the Lord, and that was his greatest accomplishment. And I just thought that was interesting for someone that was so known for policy type things, but he had it right in terms of how we engage others and represent Christ. Um, obviously, we have to make, um, uh, you know, accomplishments and have our goals and objectives out there so that the public can see what we're trying to do. But ultimately, he understood, Coburn did, that we are doing this um, in any job that we have as a ministry to our Lord and Savior. And it sounds like, like you know, you have a, a firm grip on that. And that's really um, you know, I'm guessing that there was a point at which you you saw that there was an opportunity, obviously, a lot of people. I mean, the last probably two years, I've been talking to people informally about who's going to run against Murkowski. Um, and your name started surfacing at one point. But was there a certain time where you felt like, uh, okay, this is it? You know, I mean, obviously, you have to pray with your husband <laughs> and everything else. But how did that play out? I mean, because a lot of times you say... 
okay, God's telling me to do this. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, he could, he could be, he could not be. I mean, but was there a specific point where it became, you know, really uh, clarified to you? Uh, Yes, that day was February 25th. I remember it because I remember thinking, this is the day I decided I was going to enter the Senate race, February 25th. Um, I would respond to your last comment. That story about Senator Coburn is just so powerful. It reminds me that there is no law against love. And, you know, a lot of people say, and it's easy to say I'm running against Lisa, but I'm really not running against Lisa Murkowski. I I don't think Lisa Murkowski is going to win this race. I think it's really about Alaska. We are in such a desperate place as a state. And what really compelled me to do this is the despair I see on the faces all around me. And there's just not a lot of runway left. And um, we want to talk about economy and jobs. And that's for the people. It's out of a love for the people around me that we need economy and jobs back. We want to talk about our rights, our rights to our land, to responsibly develop it, our constitutional rights. Um, That's out of love for people that we fight for civil rights, that we fight for constitutional rights. We want to talk about health care and getting something that's just reasonably affordable and it works for everyone. And that's just about love for people. And it really just all comes back to, you know, people ask, what motivated you to do this love for Alaska and love for these people. And a lot of people know my story, but for those who don't, you know, my parents came up in the seventies and life was hard for them. They were homeless for a while, but our state gave us such opportunity and my parents don't have college degrees, but they were able to make it into the middle class in part because of a resource development job that my mom got up on the slope. And they put their little girl in college, and now I'm running for U.S. Senate, and Alaskans around us fought for us. And now I have a chance to fight for Alaska, and why wouldn't I, given everything that this state has given us? And then you think about everything this state can do for our country. Um, I love this state, and I'm betting every single person listening to this program loves this state, too. And, you know... Jim, it just came to this thought back in January and February of how long am I going to sit here and say someone's got to do something. Someone's got to do something before you just realize that someone's you and everyone can do something. What can I do? Well, I've got the courage to jump in and do this. And it's not as much courage as the people in our armed services have. You know, they put their life on the line every day for our state and our country but I'm willing to do this and I'm going to do it for our state because I love our state enough to do it. We got to turn stuff around. Wow. You know, one of the things that I've been uh, asked, you know, or any have even asked others who have run for public office uh, is, you know, what about the family, especially someone with, uh, you know, a young family, a young growing family, how does that play out in your mind? Let's say you get elected, um, you know, you want to bring your you want to bring your family to the swamp. Obviously, you know, there's there's the ability <laughs> to be able to go back and forth. You've lived in D.C. Um, and so you understand that. But uh, it, it, is there some hesitation on your part because of the, the, the stage that you're at right now, the season that you're at in terms of being a mother? Such a great question. We had some serious talks as a family leading up to this. Everyone in the family said, 
we are all in. We are a Alaska loving, country loving family. My, I have five kids for those who, who don't know and they're ages seven to 16. Um, my two older kids are rather independent, both in life and in thinking. <laughs> and uh-huh. they said, we are not going back in any way, shape or form. They've always been Alaskan. They've lived their summers in Alaska with their grandparents. Uh, my oldest is named Denali and they're like, you can't make us go back. <laughs> and I think that's how, that's how all of Alaska feels about that part of the nation. And that's how yeah. I felt when I got a job there. I do not want to live on the East Coast. I do not want to live in the city. But those are the only people hiring. Um, the, what we're thinking about for the younger kids is they, they love living here. They love Alieska. They love skiing. They love everything they get to do here in the summers. And so we have really great homeschool programs that we've been able to use through COVID that worked great for them. And yeah, there will be the thought, option. Hold that thought, Kelly. It sure. always comes up on me quick. So we're going to take a quick break, folks, with Kelly Chewbacca running for U.S. Senate and talk more right after this short break. So please stick around. Thanks so much. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, speaking with Kelly Chewbacca, um, running for U.S. Senate, and we were just talking about family and the reality that, you know, when you have kids ages, you said what, seven to sixteen? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's about my range. I mean, I have a, uh, my granddaughter who kind of lives with us part time um, is just about ready to turn seven. And uh, I have two out of uh, the house now that are in college and, and uh, doing their own thing. But then I have a 16 year old is my old, oldest in in state. But so you're saying that <clears throat> I know that um, there's got to be other U.S. senators and congressmen, obviously congressmen and women that are able to juggle that. And it's one of the challenges for all public uh, officials. I mean, in Juneau, I would say more uh, or in Alaska because of the isolation of Juneau and just how crazy it is to try to come in, in and out of that place and you can't drive and all that stuff. So at least local legislators on in every other state uh, besides Alaska can drive home you know, on the weekend and all that stuff. But um, so there are, are, are have you uh, seen other examples? I'm not, not familiar with them, but uh, of people that are U.S. senators and U.S. congressmen and women that have young families and it and it's doable. I'm, I'm assuming that it is or you wouldn't have put your hat in the ring. Absolutely. So we are thinking of like homeschooling as a solution. Another option is, you know, simply what we see our armed service members do. A lot of them have this similar tension where they get sent out on orders, they're deployed, they're off for training, and whether they're moms or their dads, they're away from their kids. We even have parents who are single parents that are faced with this challenge, and I don't have that challenge. I've got an incredible husband who's all in on this and helping. But, you know, I met with Christy Noem when she was a congresswoman before she became governor and her kids lived back in South Dakota and she traveled home regularly to see them. And she had a young family at the time. So there are definitely people who've pioneered this that we can model after as a family if we win this race. Well, and uh, speaking of Christy Nome, I guess I want to just dive into that one uh, 
in terms of an issue that uh, that we've discussed here in uh, Alaska uh, quite a bit lately, just because there's so many other states who have done it. But Christy, it was you know at one point uh, Governor Nome was thought of as the, the 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 forerunner or the leading candidate potentially, and she still might be for uh, running for U.S. president. But one of the things that that disappointed some of us, and you probably heard about that, was that when she um, you know, vetoed and, and kind of took that opportunity, we believe, uh, regarding the protecting women's uh, sports issue. And, you know, she has her reasons. We don't, uh, you know, in the movement, we were a little bit disappointed that she didn't just stand strong in terms of what transpired uh, with that. But what's your view on that issue? Because that's definitely a, a federal issue. I mean, it's going to come up in the Equality Act, and we can talk that, about that in a bit. But, um, just because we have that legislation that was introduced here finally in Alaska uh, by Senator Shelley Hughes to protect women's sports in terms of having to compete against biological males, and it will probably be introduced uh, in the House as well. We'll probably get a vote on it um, next uh, next half of this legislative session. My hope is that we have the votes because it actually has crossed over between uh, Democrat and, and uh, Republican support. But any thoughts on that? I mean, in terms of uh, it's really, you know, the transgender issue has made such a um, an explosion on the cultural landscape. Um, but what's your thoughts on the um, women competing against biological males? I care deeply about the rights and privacy and safety of women and girls. I don't promote the erosion of those rights for the advancement of transgender sports causes. I think we have to protect the rights of all people. And as someone who grew up playing women's hockey, I can tell you that I learned a lot about leadership playing ice hockey with women. I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about collaboration. I learned a lot about scoring goals while being body checked. And also when I went into grad school, I played on a men's team and I learned a lot about sitting on the bench. And so I can tell you that it's really important that women and girls play on women and girls teams. And we need to protect what we have fought so hard for in women's rights and acknowledge what that is and have a lot of compassion for these girls and these women who have worked and sweat and shed blood on the ice, if you will. It's blood, sweat and tears literally to advance in their sports and not steal from them at the end of their junior high, high school, college careers, what could be winning moments, you know, scholarships, advancement, because we're trying to promote the advancement of transgender sports causes. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, one of the things that uh, is most frustrating about um, and it's also an opportunity, to be honest, but uh, people who are allied with us, both, you know, um, politically and also even theologically, have a difficult time discussing some of these issues. And I don't I don't think that it's a coincidence that Satan is behind uh, that that whole reality, because he's the author of deception and lies and. Um, and so sometimes people get tongue-tied, you know, in terms of talking about these issues. And what's one of the things that we do as an organization is to sit down with citizens and also to sit down with policymakers and to chew on these issues and and really try to come up with strategies to discuss them in a way 
that honors God, that is winsome and um, filled with grace. And you're right. It, it, there's there's a side that is very much concerned about the women involved in these competitions that have to face males who are identifying as uh, females. But the the reality right now and today. Um, and again, I think it ultimately has to do with Satan, um, is that what we hear when we have these kinds of debates is uh, trans women are women. And that's a that's a mantra that has been played out in, in uh, state capitals uh, and the nation's capital across uh, across whenever these issues are addressed. They basically say that trans women, which are males who identify as females, are women. So when you say, I want to protect women's sports, in their mind, and I'm giving them credit for actually believing it fully, those those males who identify as females are actually women. What would be your response? If, in fact, I saw uh, it was a Jordan Peterson interview um, you know, on, on PBS, I think it was, and he, they just asked him flat out, do you believe trans women are women? And, you know, he had to kind of pause a little bit, but ultimately his answer was, no, I don't, because biologically DNA and science matter. What's your take on that when you're going to face people, which you will, uh, if you get elected, <laughs> especially as things develop in this arena, you know, that mantra and that mindset is going to be prevalent um, from here on out. And how do you address that? Yeah, Jim, I one of the things I think is, important as we move dialogue forward is honoring how people choose to identify themselves. There's a reason we have an LGBTQ plus community, and it is because they identify that they don't fit into binary boxes. And so in being creative, in finding inclusive solutions, so you've got to remember, if we say there's only women's sports and men's sports, and you can't play, the trans community can't play in women's sports, then what sports are there for the trans community? That's not fair. And I think we all can realize that. So then what's the solution? I would like to see us explore creative solutions for that because that's compassionate and inclusive without eroding women's rights, people who are born biologically female. So what about, for example, setting up trans sports. Is that so difficult? There was a time not too long ago, some people listening to this remember, when we didn't have women's sports. That was part of the civil rights movement is women weren't allowed to play sports in schools, so we had to set up a women's sports program. Are we now at the point where we need to consider setting up other sports programs where we can actually be inclusive of everyone? There's fairness in sports. Everyone's rights are recognized. You know, these are some of the conversations I think that we could have without playing the either or game and excluding a whole bunch of people and honestly hurting people, hurting biological females, hurting people who identify as trans. I think we need to have some honest conversations and the courage to have them without running to our offense squares. I'm offended. I'm offended. And so therefore we're shutting down dialogue that actually shuts out solutions. No, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I like I said, so much of um, of these discussions have to do with uh, someone's heart and and their ability to think on their feet and to discuss things by um, you know by following Christ in terms of how he 
um, approached folks who were in disagreement with him. And, you know, I'd have to say just off the top of my head and actually even having conversations to that same tune that you just mentioned in terms of options, um, when they truly believe that trans women are, are females, then that discussion doesn't really hold any water because they, they literally, and we're talking about, you know, that guy that is the, um, I can't remember his title now, but he's been in the news quite a bit. Um, and he basically just said that that discussion doesn't hold true because I am a female. And so it's a bizarre kind of discussion that we ultimately have to have. Folks, we're going to take the, our next break and final break. We'll be right back with Kelly Chewbacca. Stick around. Welcome back. We're on our final segment here with Kelly Chewbacca. I dove right in on some of these super, uh, you know, um, I would say they're not necessarily complicated because in, in some ways, you know, uh, male, female, life at conception, that stuff was just taken for granted for so many decades in our country. Now everything's upside down. But uh, let's switch gears to the Equality Act. I mean, it's obviously related to these trans issues. But my understanding in uh in communication with some folks back in D.C. is that the Equality Act will be voted on uh, early to mid uh, next week. Uh, we've put together a, a list of, oh, I think it's about 165 now, pastors who are uh, who are opposing uh, the Equality Act based on the infringement of individual rights, corporate rights in terms of churches that would be required to hire individuals who identify um, either as LGBTQ or simply don't share the faith uh, that the church has or that the, the nonprofit Christian organization, the, 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 the list of potential threats is enormous. Most people, in fact, I think Al Mohler has said that it's an existential threat. Uh, religious liberty uh, um, would be over if the Equality Act passes. So it's not a um, you know, there, there's obviously, um, you know, some work to be done between now and when the vote happens next week. What's your view on the Equality Act? So people are very clear about that. So the Equality Act is anything but about equality. Right now, we have equality in our law. Under a Supreme Court ruling, there is dignity and rights afforded both to same-sex marriage and to equal protection for those who have religious expression. And it holds those two rights in tension. This happens in law regularly, where we have um, things held in tension in law. And this is good. It is good for us to recognize the dignity and rights of people who have religious views and the dignity and rights of the LGBTQ community. Because like all Alaskans, or I'd say most Alaskans, I've run into some who don't share this value. Most Alaskans, we value diversity. We value the dignity of people. And so that's what the law says right now. What the Equality Act says is we don't value the dignity and diversity of people with faith views. We're going to force everyone to conform to a view that says um, only those who accept the certain meanings about marriage and biological sex are accepted. Anyone who has different views about sexual orientation and gender identity are not accepted. So what would this mean? 
This means that we would have um, employers and workers having to conform to sexual different views of sexual norms and marriage, or they could lose their business, they could lose their jobs. This would affect florists, bakers, photographers, videographers, calligraphers, public servants, wedding venue people, all of them. Um, we see this in some of those uh, cake baker cases, for example, that have come out on the side of the cake bakers. Now it would come out against them because we wouldn't be holding those things in tension. It would also affect medical professionals, people who have moral or medical objections to paying or providing for certain therapies no longer would be able to exercise them as doctors or therapists. And it would affect parents and children where families and parents would no longer have the ability to do um, intervene, for example, in hormonal or surgical interventions that doctors say were mandatory or required. Um, I'm not even sure parents would be allowed to even know like we see in some other cases. So I think we need to be really concerned about this. I think ultimately it goes against some of our constitutional rights. I think advocating for and reclaiming our rights is one of the key things Alaskans are interested in right now. And we see an erosion of that happening at Congress. And this is an example of it. They dress it up in nice words. But really what's happening is we're pitting one section of society against another. And I would rather see us with a little bit of common sense, just say, we accept the views of people who have different values, and that's okay. I, I, you couldn't have said that better, because uh, the reality is that there are a lot of LGBT groups, especially on the trans issue. I mean, there's there's groups now that literally are identified as um, LGB minus Q, um, or minus T. I mean, literally, there are groups that are coming forward now that are the, the, in the um, LGB, I guess, uh, movement that are saying certain things have gone too far in terms of women's sports. Um, you know, one of the things that has also been a concern of uh, many people regarding the Equality Act is that Christian schools, faith-based schools, and my son goes to one, uh, um, you know, would have, um, would be mandated. In fact, there's a school, um, I think it's called uh, School of the Ozarks. It might be in Missouri, but um, they're under, uh, they're in a lawsuit right now against the Biden administration in terms of mandating that they offer their um, dormitories to same-sex couples or to individuals who identify um, as a certain uh, gender despite their biology um, and basically denying their ability to receive federal loans to go to those schools. So it's going to be a serious impact on Christian schools' ability to operate. And um, so it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, I think that right now, um, you know, what I'm hearing is that, you know, it's razor thin in terms of the majority uh, on both sides. And so um, I don't know if it's going to pass, but we have encouraged everyone to, uh, you know, to contact Senator Sullivan and Senator Murkowski to oppose it. And we'll see how it plays out eventually, uh, hopefully by the end of next week. And we'll see that, uh, you know, that opportunity, um, people take advantage of it. Because uh, if you don't contact them, then uh, I, I can guarantee you that they're getting contacted by the other side. I and mean, that was one of the reasons why we engaged 
is that we had heard that the progressive churches were really out there pushing hard for it, and there's not a great number of them. And when we were able to actually bring the body of Christ together who adheres to not just, you know, uh, the biblical definition of marriage and sexuality and human flourishing and all that, but the, the, a constitutional view in terms of being able to have um, – an appreciation, like you said, for diversity, real diversity. I remember, remember when the um, France, as a country, was debating same-sex marriage, and they had this massive march in whatever that big square is in, in downtown Paris, and there was a huge number of LGBT people that were opposing same-sex marriage because they said, "Listen, we're we're very proud of who we are as gay and lesbian individuals, but we we don't believe that we should uh, or can actually ever get married." Because uh, it takes a woman and man to raise a, uh, and to to birth a child and to raise a child, and these were French LGBT people, you know, sounding like the Christian right in America. Um, so it was, there's a diversity of view even within the LGBT community, and that of course also would be silenced if the Equality Act passes. So, real fast here, we're coming up on two minutes. Um, what's your view on life? Do you think that as a U.S. senator, you can impact um, the ability to protect our most vulnerable citizens? I think every U.S. senator has a big impact on our most vulnerable, our pre-born Americans, and. I am completely 100% pro-life. I had the joy of volunteering in a crisis pregnancy center for a few years and getting to meet women who were in that point of need and helping them through that crisis. Um, you know, it's a that's a great honor to be with women at that point. And, you know, for everyone listening, if we are pro-life, then let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's open up our homes and hearts to fostering and adopting. We can't really much say we're pro-life and uh, sound that alarm and then not do much about it. I just want to I want to be bold in saying that um, if we believe, then we need to act because faith without works is not much. Um, so that's where I stand on it. That's awesome. I mean, everyone um, loves to hear that. Of course, Murkowski has taken a very clear stand in terms of the life issue. Um, and so regardless of it being, you know, Kelly Chewbacca versus Lisa Murkowski, the reality is that her view and her track record on the issue of the sanctity of life has been horrific. And, uh, and we need that arena because there are opportunities to protect unborn children, both on a federal level and a state level. Um, and so just real fast, before we close here, how can folks learn more about Kelly Chewbacca and support and um, volunteer and all that stuff? What's the easiest way for folks to help? Our website is kelly4ak.com. So kelly4ak.com. And Jim, I appreciate that because we are going up against a Goliath, not just in Murkowski, but D.C. helping her and funding her. And we've got a grassroots movement of a lot of Alaskans supporting us. Thank you, listeners, for helping us at kelly4ak.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. You, you're uh, a breath of fresh air, I'll tell you that big time. I'm looking forward to interacting um, uh, you know, from here until November. It's a long ways away, but it's always amazing how fast it comes. And I just, you know, enjoy the journey. Uh, obviously, there's going to be times for uh, having to take deep breaths, and there's going to be all sorts of challenges. But 
um, I, I can say right now that it really is encouraging, and you've encouraged folks not just here in Alaska but across the country in terms of uh, running uh, for U.S. Senate. So God bless you, and folks, stick around. We'll be back next week for Family Matters, and um, and just go to akfamily.org if you're interested uh, in learning more. God bless Kelly. We'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, Take care. Ben.